Good morning, Hillside family. It's great to be with you today and to worship with you once again. Pastor Tim, and I'm excited to share this morning's message. Last week, we had the opportunity to celebrate Father's Day, and I know that you probably had a great time with your family, either as a father or a grandfather, enjoying some great food, going out to eat, fishing, having a barbecue. I know I certainly did with my own father and my kids. It was a special day. But one of the things that went around on the internet a lot last week were dad jokes. And I just had one story that popped up that I wanted to share with you. So there was a little boy sitting at the table with his dad. And, you know, he pops up uh, and he says to his dad, Dad, are bugs good to eat? And his dad, wanting to be a good dad and teach his son some table manners, said, Son, uh, there are some things that we just don't talk about at the table, okay? And the little boy nods and goes back to his food. After dinner, the dad remembers and says, son, what was it that you wanted to ask me? The little boy says, oh, it's nothing. There was a bug in your soup, but now it's gone. And the little boy scampers off. Well, in this morning's message, we're not going to talk about bugs, but we're going to talk about God-sized moments in the book of Acts. And two Sundays ago, uh, Pastor Matt, he shared from Acts chapter 3, where there was Peter and John and the healed a uh, lame man, they were standing together uh, on Solomon's porch in the temple, and Peter was sharing a powerful message, and a, a crowd gathered around them and were listening attentively and seeking to know what they could do to be a follower of Christ. But there were some who were listening that were not in approval of what they were hearing, and they were scheming uh, some ways of how they could stop this message. Because Peter and John and this healed lame man, they were, on, um, they were on their home turf, the temple. And these men had control of the temple. Let's take a look and continue this story in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Now as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pray.
Father, as we look to your word this morning and continuing the story of Peter and John and the other apostles and in the formation of the early church and the gospel message that is going forth in Jerusalem. Lord, we don't want this just to be information and a historical teaching, but Father, we ask that these words and the words that we share from, uh, from Acts chapter 4, that they will be life-giving powerful words that encourage us and equip us in today's life. Father, we're so grateful for your love. We're grateful for the truth that we have in your word. And we ask that your Holy Spirit will illuminate it to our hearts and minds this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in this story, Peter and John, they are arrested by the by the the Sadducees, and been brought to a trial. And it can be a very intimidating time, and we're going to explore that. But the question that I have for you this morning is this. When questioned, are you confident in your faith? And a follow-up that might be, do you share your understanding, knowledge, and experiences of faith with others? You know, Pastor Matt shared a couple of weeks ago that, that Peter, uh, before the day of Pentecost, he really was a hit or miss disciple. There were some things that he did that Jesus gave acknowledgement to and praise to. And there were many instances that Peter acted impulsively and failed miserably. And his biggest failure was in the courtyard at Jesus' arrest and his trial by the Sanhedrin. Peter denied knowing Christ three times and the rooster crowed and he left and wept bitterly. But Peter is a changed man and we see that here in this particular passage. And Peter responds to the Sanhedrin's interrogation. Their primary question is, by what power or by what name have you done this? Speaking of the healing and the testimony of the lame man who is now healed and standing with them. And I believe that there are four uh, things that we can draw from this scripture verse that can encourage us in our faith this morning. And the first one is that Peter preached the joy of the resurrection. In verses one through four, and a key phrase that we say, see there in verse two was, they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. It was only months earlier when Jesus was summoned to his dearest friends, uh, Martha and Mary, that Lazarus, their brother, was really sick and, and close to death. But as Jesus approached the home, Martha ran out to meet Jesus and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And in John chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, Jesus responds and says to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. She said to him, Yes, Lord. Or... And yet, and then verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. In the power of the resurrection, we have joy. Joy in the renewed and the eternal life we will all have and experience after death. Joy in the hope and the promise that we are created for more than what we just see in this present life. Joy in the reunion that we look forward to in those who have placed their faith in Christ and have gone to heaven before us and those who will follow after us. Joy in seeing Jesus' face. Joy in the Father's embrace. Well, that was a good phrase. It's probably from a song somewhere. But there is joy in the resurrection. And no wonder that 5,000 men and others came to know the Lord and believe in Christ that day when Peter preached Jesus and the resurrection. Because there is power and joy in the resurrection. But why were the Sadducees, specifically the Sadducees, so angry and upset with Peter's message about Jesus and the resurrection? Well, the message of the resurrection was uh, counter to their own theology and belief system. They did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in life after death. They did not believe in the spirit realm of, of angels and demons. They just believed that all that is is what is present. And the Sadducees, they had a, uh, they had a very um, temporal, uh, materialistic worldview. The Sadducees were the power holders and had wealth and influence in, uh, in the Jerusalem culture and in Judea. And they were the ones who were the power brokers with the Roman uh, governors. They were the ones who wanted to keep the status quo as things as they were and to keep the peace, keep the people subjugated so that they could maintain their religious and cultural control and power that they shared with the Romans. So they didn't like this message that was appealing to others, both the message that was contrary to their own theology and beliefs, but it also threatened their status quo power and influence and wealth. The Sadducees were the primary group of people among the Sanhedrin. They were the power holders. It was primarily the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And we know that in Jesus' trial, it was the Pharisees that took the lead and it was their anger and their bitterness and their resentment of Jesus' teaching and his words that upset their power and control and theology. But here with Peter, it's the Sadducees who are the ones who are upset in bringing forth this interrogation and this trial. Continuing on in chapter 4, the second thing that we can see is that Peter was empowered by the Holy Spirit. In verses 5 through 8, we see that in the Sanhedrin, they give their question to him. And then following that, it says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, he responds. And this alone can explain Peter's uh, just daring capacity to speak truth boldly. Whereas before we saw him falter and fail, even when questioned and in, in 
if he was a disciple of Christ. What a powerful transformation. And I think those few words really give us an understanding that when Jesus said that I must leave so that the comforter, the advocate must come, the Holy Spirit. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, that in that moment of testing and trial, the Holy Spirit was there to give empowerment to Peter, to give him clarity in his words, to give him a boldness and conviction in his message and declare the truth clearly and boldly. But we also see that Jesus promised this earlier. In fact, we see that in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 through 12, where Jesus was teaching the disciples and he said, now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And when Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not just talking about his initial filling of the Holy Spirit, but it is a moment where it is an active presence of the Holy Spirit giving Peter the words and the clarity and the boldness and the confidence to speak forth the truth to a very powerful and influential group of men. Now, I don't know about you, but when you're being interrogated by someone who has authority over you, someone who can make a judgment against you and cause harm or distress or pain, that can be very intimidating. You know, one of the only intimidating times or a few intimidating times that I've experienced by someone in uniform was when we were on a family trip and we crossed the Canadian border. For whatever reason, our car was flagged and we had to pull over and uh, by the Canadian border guards and had to go into the building very uh, strictly and sternly directed to leave our car and to go in. And we were interrogated by the man at the counter who was in full military gear and, and had his uh, automatic rifle there and fully decked out in, in gear. And he was questioning us. And I think I said some joke to kind of break the ice and he didn't crack a smile. And he just gave us very... Uh, very stern questions of where we were going, what is our business, where we were staying, etc. And even though I didn't have anything to hide and I tried to share the information, I was stumbling over my words just because I couldn't think clearly because I was being intimidated by the presence of this man who could disrupt our plans, potentially arrest me and whatever it may be. So there is an emotional feeling when you are in the presence of someone who has authority over you and they are interrogating you. I can imagine that Peter's emotions may have been similar and probably even heightened much more. Because in the Sanhedrin there was 70 men, probably all looking intently, sternly and accusingly, uh, seeking to find a way and a means to arrest him and keep him from spreading the message and the truth that he was sharing on Solomon's porch that day. But just as Jesus promised, that in those times of interrogation and questioning and trial, that the Holy Spirit would come and empower them and give them the words to speak and the confidence to speak clearly. And we see that fulfilled in this moment. 
And Peter needed the strength and the confidence to do so. And the Holy Spirit was there to apply that. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And continuing in the story, Peter, and the third point is that Peter answers with whose power and name the lame man was made whole. I mean, that's the primary question that the Sanhedrin is trying to entrap Peter with. And Peter not only falls for the trap, he answers it directly and boldly. And so let's read verses 9 through 11. If we, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Peter wants to make no mistake to what name healed the lame man. It was Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the same Jesus whom the Sanhedrin themselves crucified. And Peter actually stands there and accuses them, those who are accusing him, of a great crime. And what is the crime that they are bringing to him? He says, look, we did a great thing. A lame man was healed. He was made whole. And I am having to ask questions regarding that. And Peter turns the table on them of the great crime that they committed in crucifying the cornerstone of their faith. Peter is certainly filled with the fullness and the empowerment and the boldness of the Holy Spirit because he responds so authoritatively and with power and with clarity and with truth. And then he went to make very clear that there was no other, uh, that this Jesus was none other than the Messiah. And he quotes uh, from Psalm 113, verse 22, which, which was, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And we also see a sim similar passage found in Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Of course, the cornerstone, the chief stone, this sure foundation is prophetic imagery, a metaphor of the Messiah, the coming Christ, the chief cornerstone that the builders rejected. Peter is emboldened by the truth of Scripture, where Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of these Jewish prophecies. And as a metaphor, he is the foundation stone, joining the great walls of the temple, giving it strength and making it true in its alignment. It is the temple in Jerusalem that is the heart and the treasure of the Jewish faith. Where God resides in his presence, God of their fathers, Abraham, Moses, and David, the God whose covenant of blessing and promise with the Jews. But now Jesus is the foundation of this same faith 
that the Sanhedrin say they are professing and upholding. But Jesus is the foundation of faith. And Jesus is the foundation of faith to all believers at that present time and for generations to come. And the foundation and the chief cornerstone to our faith today. And I'd say for a question for us, and I'm going to hit this on a little bit later, but is Jesus the foundation of your faith? I think there are a lot of other things that we can place faith in in our life. We can have faith in our own material wealth and our possessions that we have. We can place our faith in our education and how much we know about whatever it happens to be. We can place our faith in what political party or the politics that we subscribe to or that we believe in. We can place our faith in ideologies and worldviews. And sometimes we do so as we develop our own worldview. But there is only one true foundation that we can trust and place our faith in for today and forevermore. And that is the chief cornerstone, the foundation of our faith in Jesus Christ himself. Then Peter goes on and declares with full conviction that not only is Jesus the chief cornerstone of their faith and his faith and our faith today, but he declares that Jesus is the one and only name that you should declare. And we see that in verse 12, in the last verse that I have. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. A bold declaration, not just that Jesus saves, but only Jesus saves. And the key word is, in this verse is saved or salvation. And it's soteria, the free gift of deliverance from sin. And it actually means health, uh, healing and health, wholeness and oneness. The magnificent word stands for everything Jesus Christ came to be and do for us. And through his life, through his death and resurrection, we are then reconciled to God, made whole, made one with God. And the cross was a one time, never to be repeated sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And in his one and only name, we have a lot of blessings and promises that we do cherish, but I just want to remind you this morning about them. In his one and only name, we have righteousness. Say righteousness with me. Righteousness. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we accept his atoning death for our sin, we are forgiven and set free from the guilt of sin and self-condemnation. We are born again beginning life anew uh, as a loved and forgiven uh, adopted son and daughter in Christ. In his one and only name, we have love. Say love, love. John chapter 15, verses 12 through 13. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
Christ demonstrated that love for us. He laid down his life that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's God's love demonstrated and proved through Christ's work on the cross. In his one and only name, we have true love. His love was sacrificial, timeless, and complete, the love of Christ. We receive God's unmerited, unlimited favor and acceptance through his name and his name only. Third one, in his one and only name, we have joy. Everyone say joy. Joy. And John, back to John 15, verse 11 says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy. It's not just merely being happy, but it is a confidence of Christ's love and presence no matter what the circumstances you may face. No matter what challenge or trial that you are going through, what uncertainty or anxiety that may be there, you can have joy because it's the confidence that you have in the power and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It is the confidence that you have in his one and only name that gives you strength. It is in his joy that you are complete and full and can be ready to tackle no matter what this world may give. No matter what pandemic may be surfacing or going through our world, no matter what economic uncertainty faces you and your household or your vocation or your business, you can have joy today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We are also encouraged by the attributes that we can have in Christ in his one and only name. In his name, we have life. Everyone say life, life. Back to the book of John, 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In Christ's one and only name, we have life and life abundantly. In our daily lives, our families, in our work, in our relationships with friends, in our hopes and dreams and our daily pursuits and the daily challenges. In his one and only name, we have life. And when we call upon the name of Jesus in, during our day, there is life, there is hope, there is encouragement, and there is strength. And the, the purpose and the will and, and the life that Christ gives us is greater than anything we could ever imagine without him. It's a life full of adventure. It's a life with work. It's a life with creativity. It's a life with uh, purpose and, and will that has eternal value. He has come to give us life. And in his one and only name, we are alive forevermore. Amen. Alive forevermore. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You are alive today because of the work and the grace of Christ. When he went to the cross on your behalf and my behalf, 
It is out of his love that we are alive today and forevermore. That we have the hope of eternal life. The hope of the resurrection is in Christ. And when we trust and believe in the name of Jesus, our self-centered and limited will and worldview is replaced with a Christ-centered will. And we will live the abundant life and we readily share it with others. And that no other religion, no other cult, no other world ideology, no other world philosophy can promise those things. Love, joy, righteousness, life, and alive forevermore. Salvation is found in the one and only name of Jesus of Nazareth, Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen, amen, amen. The foundation of your faith, the chief cornerstone of your faith is in the one and only name, the powerful and beautiful name of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. The challenge that I have for you this morning, and it's a challenge for me, and it's a challenge for all of us, no matter how many years or decades we've been a believer in Christ and an attender of church. And that is, is your faith today built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ? Because going to church isn't sufficient. It doesn't mean anything in and of itself, just going to church and being religious and, and doing a religious duty. It's not placing Jesus as the cornerstone of your faith. Even having knowledge Biblical knowledge or historical knowledge or world knowledge. Knowledge in itself isn't a foundation of your faith. There are plenty of scholars and theologians and historians who know uh, Jewish culture and history and theology, but they don't believe that Jesus is the cornerstone of their faith. And they are missing the whole enchilada. And maybe you're tuning in and, and you're not really sure about what you believe in and you don't have a much biblical foundation of faith. I would encourage you that simply go to Jesus. Go to Jesus and look at him and, and read the gospels, read the book of John because his life, his teaching, his work is the cornerstone of your faith. The second challenge is this. Are you ready and confident to share the good news of Jesus any place, any time, with anyone? Peter, he wasn't confident early on that we see in his life. But on this day, filled with the Holy Spirit, he was confident and ready to share the good powerful news of Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone, the one and only name of which you can find salvation. He could share that any place, anytime with anyone, even the most powerful people in his known world. Are you ready to share? Maybe with a friend at Starbucks, sharing a caramel macchiato with a friend. Are you ready to share your knowledge, your truth, the good name of Jesus, your experiences, your testimony with a friend? Are you ready to share if you're in a classroom, maybe at 
Clackamas Community College or at Portland State University or another. And in the classroom, a question of faith and belief comes up. Are you willing to take a stand that maybe no other students in the classroom are ready to take? But you say, yes, I believe, or you believe in, in the Bible and God's word. Are you willing to take a stand for faith any place, any time, and with anyone? Maybe you're at work and, and there's a friend who asks you a question. Are you ready and confident to respond to that question about your faith with, with a good answer, a clear answer, and with conviction? Are you ready and confident to share the good news of Jesus anytime, any place, and with anyone? And as we close this message in prayer this morning, I wanted to give you an opportunity. And again, this doesn't matter how many years you've uh, been attending church or even how many years you've made a profession of faith in Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to really seek your heart and your mind and, and your, your past uh, experiences. If, if your faith has really been grounded and, and rooted in the chief cornerstone of Jesus. I was going to invite you to pray with me a prayer of confidence and trust in the one and only name. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we look to this passage in Acts chapter 4, Lord, we are encouraged by what we see in Peter and his boldness and his confidence and in his ability, uh, not really in his own ability, but by being filled with the Holy Spirit, the words of truth and power and conviction that he shares about the resurrection and about the name of Jesus and how he is our chief cornerstone of our faith. And Father, this morning, if there are any friends that are listening today and they are home or they are in their dining room or living room, maybe they're sitting in their car with their mobile phone, Father, I just ask that your Holy Spirit will speak to them and that if, if their faith has been misguided and misplaced somewhere else, there's knowledge, there's experiences, but they need a renewed conviction, a renewed infilling of your Holy Spirit for empowerment, for confidence, to boldly share and believe in the one and only name, the only name that gives us hope and life and righteousness that they will do so right now. They will just share with me in this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe in your resurrection. I believe that you went to the cross on my behalf and paid the penalty for my sins. I believe that is in that power in your death on the cross that I have the forgiveness of sins, that I am cleansed today. And that I am a new man, I am a new woman in Christ's name, in his one and only powerful and beautiful name. And that I want to make Christ the cornerstone of my faith, not duty, not rituals, not belief systems, but the name and the power of Christ. And I want to live my life each and every day in the fullness of his life and the fullness of his joy. And I want to eagerly share this good news, this transformation work in my life with others. 
And Father, that I will boldly go wherever you call me to share this good news. We just ask this in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. And thank you for joining us today in our time of worship and this message. And I hope that you were encouraged. And let's just continue to worship the Lord this morning.